In terms of the comedy, the humor, and so on, I think all my movies are funny. And uh, I think... <laughs> I think this one is no exception. People have said to me, you really should make a comedy. And I said, but I've made nothing else, you know? <laughs> so let's hope it's the, the La Divina Comedia. Leslie Lee, call sign Nubian. Jack Allison, call sign Sloth. Welcome to Struggle Session. Folks, we're talking summer movies, including Top Gun, Crimes of the Future, as well as Jurassic Park Dominion. Jurassic World Dominion, Leslie. This is part of the Jurassic World franchise, not Park. Ellie Sattler. Alan Grant. You didn't come out all this way just to catch up now, did you? You coming or what? We're racing toward the extinction of our species. We not only lack dominion over nature, we're subordinate to it. Well, Jack, I have to admit something to you. I, I say this on the show all the time. It's my catchphrase at this point. The critic cannot look away. <laughs> Jack, I looked away. You looked away. I heard. The I heard reason I don't know the title of this damn movie is because I went to the movie theaters. I sat yeah. down, sure, bought my tickets, and I walked out. I walked wow. out of the movies. Before yeah. Jeff Goldblum even showed up, I which is out. pretty early. That's pretty early in the movie, you know. That I mean, <laughs> although it's a very long movie, so it's like maybe you even got like an hour in or something like that. But uh, you missed some pretty stupid stuff, Leslie. You really did miss some some pretty idiotic stuff. Colin Trevorrow has a has a a baby brain unlike any I think that we've ever experienced in filmmaking. I, I, I have seen and I will see every single Colin Trevorrow movie. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I sat through this one as well. Uh, safety Not Guaranteed, I heard nothing but good things about. Yeah, I mean, Safety Not Guaranteed, that's one of the ones that can trick people. Okay. That's just like, it's like a mumblecore sci-fi. I, I feel like when I saw, first saw Safety Not Guaranteed, I was like, okay, that was kind of cool. Like, it's like an indie little sci-fi movie with some interesting ideas. Uh, that They'll fool you with those kind of things. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't blame people for being fooled by Safety Not Guaranteed. But what this man has done since Jurassic World 1... People were fools about everybody thought that movie was good. It was atrocious. That was like a proto Force Awakens for like just being such an atrocious movie that everybody was somehow like mesmer spell fooled by or something. <laughs> Um, and yeah, and Book of Henry is is the product of a diseased mind. It is a truly strange movie. And it lost him Star Wars Episode Nine when for making Book of Henry. Talk a lot on the show about how poorly things are run over there at LucasArts, uh, LucasFilm, rather. Yeah. How they've fired more directors than they've than have actually made movies for them. I would have been much happier to see Colin Trevorrow's 
totally fucking weird Star Wars Episode Nine than JJ coming back for Rise of the Skywalker. I feel like that still was a mistake, even though it would have been bad. It would have been a bad movie. I still would have rather seen this like exquisite Frankenstein of like all these three directors just like picking off where the last one left off. It was it was a mistake to bring back JJ, even though it was also a mistake to hire Trevorrow in the first place. The movie felt like the Disney Channel had made a legacy sequel to Jurassic Park. Let's say Jurassic Park comes out. It's a moderate success at the time. No one really thinks about it. And then 20, 30, 40 years later, they make a TV movie, you know, holiday special sequel to Jurassic Park. And that's basically what this felt like. But to see this on the big screen, there's not one line of dialogue that doesn't feel cut and paste from another movie. Colin Trevorrow, he has seen maybe three or four movies in his life and none of them was Jurassic Park. It captures none of the magic of Jurassic Park. It makes dinosaurs boring within the first minute of the movie. It's it was awful. I, I couldn't I could not believe how bad this was and how people could sit through it. It was just absolutely terrible insultingly. This is a weird movie where it's like a huge box office success, inarguably a huge box office success, like two weekends uh, in a row at, at number one. Uh, but it feels like almost everyone who's seen it, reviewers and like, you know, normal people alike are just like, it sucks. It's horrible, and it still just is like everybody keeps on seeing it. It's like if Sharknado grows like yeah, but half even a Sharknado is like intentionally yes, that intentionally, way, you know. Yes. Like this movie is like this movie is truly bizarre. Uh, the plot of it is is weird and bad in ways that you wouldn't even expect. It's mostly about locusts. It's mostly about like that oh there my are God, these giant Jack, locusts. Jack. <laughs> okay, so the the inside incident of the movie is that these giant, gigantic locusts, like locusts the size of dogs, okay, are going yeah. around and eating all the crops that aren't made by the evil biosyn. Biosyn. And the plot yeah. of the movie is that they have to go to Biosyn Island to prove that Biosyn is behind the gigantic prehistoric locusts. They actually <laughs> act as if this might have been a natural change and not as if they are dinosaur fucking locusts. They actually, and there's a scene that even while, like, like they bring this giant dog-sized locust to, like, Sam Neill and he's just kind of like, oh, that's kind of big. It's like, I don't even think they <laughs> knew how big to make the locust when they were shooting the scene because it's like huge like well obviously this is like in genetically engineered dinosaur they actually operate on the premise that they that like this was not be obvious to Could everyone be natural yeah and also by the way we're in a world where dinosaurs have escaped and are now just part of like the world's ecology at this point and that's not even barely the plot of the movie the plot of the movie is about locusts are attacking crops when Laura Dern comes back they have her reprise her like famous you know lowering her uh, sunglasses like she did in the first Jurassic Park uh, only this time is to look at a field that was ravaged by locusts not to look at a dinosaur but to look at the aftermath of what a bunch of giant locusts did. Yeah, no sense of wonder in this one. It opens literally with a now this video about how all the yeah. dinosaurs are causing political havoc around the world. 
but that is really not what the movie is about. Like we're this movie was sold as the idea of like, okay, now dinosaurs are out in the world and what the hell is that gonna mean for the world? And that is mostly like glossed over. It's mostly just like there are dinosaurs in the world and they like cause people to get in car crashes and stuff like that. And then the bulk of the movie actually takes place at like Biosyn headquarters. It's this like, you know, valley that they created where they've like taken all the dinosaurs to like sequester them away from the rest of the world. And so it just might as well be another Jurassic Park. You know, Ellie Sadler and Alan Grant are back in this movie and all the old characters are back, which really, you know, makes you realize like how flat all the new characters are Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard actually being alongside the characters that they were meant to evoke, (laughs) like is not, it's not smart to put them side by side to make us realize like, Oh yeah, these characters fucking suck. Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler, by the way, I know their names, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard's characters. I could not tell you if you, if you were going to give me a million dollars to name those characters, <laughs> I could not do it. There's not a chance I could do it. Uh, what um, about their clone daughter? Jack, why is there a clone child? Chris Pratt, who was like the dinosaur trainer at Jurassic World, and Bryce Dallas Howard, who was like the lady who did Jurassic World, who is like a war criminal. Like the acting CEO. <laughs> uh, she's like literally responsible for there being dinosaurs everywhere in the world or whatever, but now she's like an eco-terrorist or something. They live in the forest with like, she's not even the same clone girl from Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. She's a different clone girl. They live in the woods with her and Blue, the trained Velociraptor, just lives in the woods near them. Kind of no explanation for like whether number one, they like knew Blue is living near them. Did Blue move to them because she likes Chris Pratt? Is this totally random? Another thing that's totally glossed over is Blue has a daughter and they're like, and Blue had it, you know, like without having sex with another dinosaur. There's no father. And it's just like glossed over completely. The idea that like, okay, so Blue just like now sort of asexually reproduces. Fine. Fine, whatever. So Blue's daughter gets kidnapped by a bunch of poachers on behalf of Biosyn. And then along Chris with the Pratt, clone daughter as well. Along with the clone daughter. This is a Disney movie. Chris Pratt's daughter and Blue's daughter are both kidnapped. Chris Pratt promises Blue to bring Blue's daughter back. And it does seem that Blue understands English when Chris Pratt does this because Blue backs off after being pissed off. And and what ends up happening in the movie is they get Blue's daughter back. First of all, you know, the Velociraptors, which were the most scary thing we had ever seen in our lives in the first Jurassic Park, like just smart, you know, like killing machines, like razors, you know, that could like chase you around. They know how to open doors and stuff like that. Now we find out from the Jurassic World movies that the secret to taming raptors is simply to like hold your hand out (laughs) at them. There's a scene, there's a scene at the end of the movie where three characters are holding their hands out at Blue's daughter. And like that, is what controls Blue's daughter is you hold your hand out like Iron Man, you know, toward her or whatever. That was the big secret, I guess, to controlling raptors is just holding a hand out at them or whatever. Leslie, there's so much stupid shit in this movie. Ellie Sattler and Alan Grant go to Biosyn, you know, as guests of Ian of uh, Ian Malcolm. Who Jeff works Goldblum. for the evil corporation, by yes, the way. Yes, he... 
And we end up finding out that he's like doing it to oh, like, he's double agent. But it's also, but it's like pretty vague and not that well done, of course. Um, but yes, he is like a double agent. So he invites them there. They go around Biosyn. I swear to God, there's like a third of this movie where they got Alan Grant and and Ellie Sattler back, and they put them in like biohazard outfits where you can't even see their face. They're just like skulking around Biosyn in like biohazard <laughs> outfits, like faces completely covered to find basically to find the locust so that they can prove Biosyn is behind the gigantic locust, which is like. Okay, yeah, I guess they're not naturally occurring, these locusts that are dinosaur-sized and only attack (laughs) non-Biosyn products. (laughs) They have to prove it or whatever. So they get in to Biosyn. They are skulking around trying to find the locusts or whatever. Meanwhile, the little girl is brought by... You know, out by Dodgson, who is a Tim Cook kind of guy, um, to the scientist that's been in all the other ones, Doctor Wu, um, who Doctor Wu is like betray. It's it's all oh, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. He's betraying Dodgson, but like right before his very eyes, they're like showing him video. They're showing the little girl videos of like how they made the locusts and how they need to try to destroy the locusts. And Dodgson is being like, "Why are you showing her these videos? We want to use the locusts." It's like just fucking bizarre. <laughs> she releases Blue's daughter, like. I, I, I can't even tell you what the fuck goes on in this movie. <laughs> Later in the movie, Dodgson realizes the jig is up with the locusts. And so he like sets them on fire. There's like a button he presses to like set all the locusts in the lab on fire. And so he does that on purpose. He's like, we have to destroy the locusts to like destroy the evidence. And then he like lets the locusts out of the ceiling, the roof. And they like on while on fire fly over the whole valley. And it's because they're on fire and like falling out of the sky that they catch the entire valley and the entire facility like on fire. So Dodgson like releases them and then like catches his entire facility and forest on fire. Meanwhile, our good guys are trying to escape so that they can get the locust DNA out with them so they can prove (laughs) fucking Biosyn was behind it. There's a great moment at the end where it's like they have to have all the legacy characters and all the new characters together. So they're running around as like a group of eight people. Like at the end of this movie, there's like a little like parade of like eight people are seen by the T-Rex. Eight people go and run behind the car. Eight people have to go and climb a ladder uh, because we've got to have boring ass Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard and the new young guy who was like showing them around and Ian Malcolm and fucking Ellie. Sattler and Alan Grant. It is nonsensical. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes this movie. It was seen by everybody. It's a huge success. They're going to make another sequel and nobody likes it. And this is modern filmmaking, folks. People want to get indoors for a couple hours in the air conditioning. That is what we're doing these days. I mean, that was basically the reason I went. Like, I had no expectations, but God damn, like it completely unwatchable. Don't even like it's not even like you don't even get the enjoyment of it being like a bad movie because it felt like such a betrayal for like Jeff Goldblum to be in this. Like they're, he was now, lying to us 
by taking the money and making us think that this is going to be a real Jurassic Park movie. There like, are bizarre lines in this movie. Like they're just letting Jeff Goldblum just improvise so much weird shit. There was like a part where he was like, he talked, he's like, I had a dog once that humped my leg so much. I got a callus on my shin. I'm like, what in the hell is going on in this movie? What the Does fuck? he get to play his jazz piano? No, he doesn't, sadly, but uh, I'm sure they shot it and just didn't put it in the movie. Um, a truly bizarre franchise. I will say this. It's probably... It's better than the first Jurassic World. It's probably worse than Fallen Kingdom. So this is only the um, this is the the second worst Jurassic World movie. Well, Jack, I wanted to talk about this briefly uh, because with the release of this, it has to be said, Jurassic Park as a franchise, possibly the worst in all of film history, all factors considered. I don't know. Lost World is good. I will go back and I will say Lost World still is done by Spielberg. It has Spielberg stuff in it. There's a lot of dumb stuff story-wise in there, but there are shots. Like Spielberg does the thing where he'll do some cool oners and then like it like lands into a really well-framed shot and there's just cool shit in yeah, there. But, but that yeah, still I mean, gets us to two of six. Two of six. And then, two of six. And then most of those are like like take you into the negatives kind of i feel like it world brings it down so low that you might be right you might be right at this point yeah i mean uh, like i compare it to like something like resident evil uh series i would oh, resident much, evil's got more good than bad oh, absolutely i'd much rather watch those movies and uh speaking to the point of the of you know like the plot of these movies once you're making six of these movies where you go with it after the zombies get out in resident evil one we're fucked. Humanity is done. That is the apocalypse starting. And four of those movies take place in a post-apocalyptic world where the zombies have taken over. It took us six movies of Jurassic Park for the dinosaurs to actually cause a little bit of ruckus outside of a very quarantined area. And they still... Which I don't even think they should. I don't think they should be. It should be a quarantined area. These should be like, you know, cordoned off, you know, kind of diehard movies. I'm sorry, you know? that's cowardly, Jack. I wanted dinosaurs to take over the goddamn planet. Like, you have to do... <laughs> dinosaurs being the fucking problem. Like, if you're going to make six movies, you gotta keep escalating. They actually should have brought in like some other prehistoric creatures like the terror birds have you heard of the terror birds jack no i don't know it Ter look up the terror bird so they ruled the planet oh they look cool for like millions of years like well not the whole planet but most of north and south america for like millions of years like 50 million years they, they were just like killing it non-stop much longer history than humanity will ever have um and they're huge these huge massive birds we could have seen some of this. Like, who wanted to see, lo like, yeah. giant dinosaur locusts? Like, just no imagination, no creativity. I don't know what the locusts are doing in there. It is truly bizarre that this movie is most... Like, the big plot of this movie is mostly about locusts. Well, moving on to a movie that I hope we both liked a lot better. And that focuses on creativity. Its plot is about creativity what it means to be an artist and as someone reflecting back on their past work i'm talking about david cronenberg's crimes of the future i can feel you pulling things around in there it's a brand new organ never before seen 
We've all felt that the body was empty. Empty of meaning. And we've wanted to confirm that. So that we could fill it with meaning. The world is a much more dangerous place now that pain has all but disappeared. to map the chaos inside. Let us create a map that will guide us into the heart of darkness. They're still letting Crone go out there and make some weird fucking shit, man. They really are still letting them do some weird stuff. And uh, yeah, I love this one. Really uh, a fun movie. Crimes of the Future starring Viggo Mortensen as Saul Tensor, uh, yeah. Leah Sado as Caprice, and Kristen Stewart as Timlin. Crimes of the Future takes place in the near future where most of humanity has died or, and or been mutated in some form or fashion people no longer feel pain um people and they require all this weird technology to like sleep and eat and and because of the changes the human body has undergone and, and the environment is fucked by the way like there's plastics everywhere it's all and pe people are also starting to mutate and grow these yeah. organs in their body which they don't know the use of and since that uh, goes side by side with the lack of pain people have taken to cutting these organs out of their body as a form of performance art that's the plot <laughs> <laughs> and and salt tensor is is one of the world's like great organ growers um and his partner his partner caprice is like they use this amazing very cool like biological autopsy machine to cut him open and remove his new organs and he is just his art is that he creates new organs in his body and kind of doesn't know how or why that happens uh, but jack we have where well, you're skipping over a very important part of the process that uh, Caprice must tattoo the organs, so of course they can be cataloged with the registry at the National oh, Organ yes. Registry, which is a very important part. Uh, which are you know Saul Tensor's partners in this creative process. Obviously, Saul Tensor is David Cronenberg. This is a story about David Cronenberg making films and, of course, working with the Canadian government, as he often does. <laughs> but the and the portrayal of the investigators here, uh, Don McKellar uh, plays the male investigator Whippet. They're so like they gro basically grovel before him and say, "We love your work so much. We love you. We love you. We love everything you do. But we gotta get this. You gotta fill out these forms. You got we got this, this paperwork <laughs> done." 
I, I mean, we really believe in what you're doing, but you know, we have to make sure we can identify this. And yes, this we are cataloging this in, in case uh, these new organs become uh, criminal to possess in the future. That's why it calls is called Crimes of the Future. It's it sounds very ominous, and you think it's going to be a horror movie, but it's actually more of like a Philip K. Dick. Uh, or Kafka s kind of comedy of sorts where like it like they're like it's a very it's a very lighthearted movie in a in a lot of ways it's a the actual plot of it is not so grim as one might expect, although you know it is still ultimately about you know doing an autopsy on on the body of a little boy. <laughs> Cronenberg says this about his films, like every single movie he's he makes is a comedy ultimately. And a lot of this movie is just light. I expected it to be a, a lot more tense, a lot more creepy, a lot more gruesome. But even like that offsetting off-putting scene uh, that opens it up where you see this mother, you know, murder her child. When it's explained later, it's done in this very clinical fashion. It's like, look, my son, he was a mutant. He was he was eating plastic. He was weird. I didn't consider a human. I killed him. I, I put myself in jail. That's it. That's the beginning and end of it. It was a very ends of it has a very, I don't know, kind of a coldness about it mm -hmm. uh, but that is cut by the humor of it where you're laughing at how Saul Tensor is you know makes such a big deal about his art and his paintings always Viggo Morrison is always like grimacing and groaning through the whole movie we, and you start to see like Cronenberg feels like he's kind of making fun of himself because basically those organs are movies and he's talking about the the actress of the artist like the suffering artist and he's just poking fun at it and has a lot of fun with it there's so many direct references to old Cronenberg movies Dead Ringers there's a they mentioned something called the inner beauty pageant that's literally mm -hmm. there literally is a plot point in the movie where there is going to be an inner beauty pageant all the technology looks like it's from existence there's so many you know direct references to Videodrome to Shivers like everything he is looking back on his career and what it means to be an artist and it ultimately feels like a very uplifting and kind of positive movie that i was not expecting from the trailers and the hype i was actually not grossed out by a lot of the bio quarter i thought it was fairly right. light it was it was fairly light actually you know i i think that sometimes people when they go to festivals i think they get a little like there's just something festivally in the Dr air uh, or something like alcohol that. cocaine yeah yeah that could be it and just just the vibe of oh we got to see this first or something like that i really did enjoy the movie and i did find it fun and i found it you know uh really weird i like i like a vision of the future that's not all just fucking different types of ipads and like screens that don't that aren't on a screen you know what i mean i like the idea that you know this is a future where all technology has kind of become biological um i thought that was really interesting and uh yeah the the you know the the world that this was in i thought was really intriguing and um yeah it's really worth seeing cronenberg uh mentioned that he actually had written this script uh like 10 years ago he just said it took him a while to get it made but he was surprised by how timely it was all in the news last week, one thing people were talking about were microplastics and how everybody has microplastics mm -hmm. in them. And he says, well, look, you know, if we all got microplastics in us, what are we going to do? Are we going to get rid of all the plastics? Probably not. What if we adapted our bodies so that we could eat and consume eat plastic? plastic? People always think that when Cronenberg is combining the body with technology 
and he's doing what we call body horror. He's condemning it. He's saying that some negative. He, not really. He thinks that it, they are, technology is an essential part of us, good and bad. And this is just like what reality is and what reality will be. So when you see, you know, at the end of this film, Saul Tensor is now able to eat plastic. Well, you got a ton of plastic around the earth. If humans can start eating plastic, well, maybe that will suck. Maybe that will make you sick having all these weird organs in you. But hey, at least it's survival. At least you are adapting. At least, you know, you're making, uh, you're, turn, you're turning uh, some something that's just waste into something uh that can be used to you know give life and create life a really cool movie really like some interesting ideas in there just really cool shots and stuff um loved it yeah and uh, really really remind me of philip k dick it exposed to me how much cronenberg loves clearly has been trying to do philip k dick this whole time just a little, a little bit weirder and a lot more sex but Man, I, I really enjoyed hey, this one. I will say this, by the way. Um, almost shocking to see a movie in a theater that had nudity. Uh, I like, you know, I, I liked it. I liked that there's nudity in this movie. But movies have become so neutered and, you know, there's so little sex in movies. I was like, when there when nudity happened in this movie, I was almost like, holy shit, are we like allowed to do that in the AMC? Like, is that even, is that against the rules at AMC to show nudity here? One of those festival goers actually said like, oh, uh, Leah Sado spends half the film nude. It's like 45 seconds. <laughs> like, it's one single scene, but oh. you know, uh, yeah, there's a couple scenes with nudity, and it was nudity has become shocking again because of how neutered movies have become. <laughs> All right, so huge thumbs up to Crimes of the Future, but maybe not what you're expecting if you're looking to be super weirded out or grossed out. If you're looking to walk out of the theater vomiting, it probably won't happen, but still, uh, a really cool movie. Yeah, worth good, seeing. and good vibes, good vibes in general. Yeah. All right. Speaking of good vibes, dudes rocking. We got to talk about it. The number oh, one yeah. movie of the year. Ja Movies are back. Jack, this Top Gun Maverick, as I said yeah. on my uh, guest appearance on How Disc Get Played with Nick sure. Weiger, friend of the show, all those cats. This is probably the most invigorating piece of propaganda I've ever seen. Cruz said he wanted to show what it was really like to be in naval aviation. We look at these aircraft and what it takes to fly one of these aircraft. For the first time, people are going to watch this movie and have a real understanding where we're talking about that kind of skill set, that kind of physical um, endurance and power that, that a lot of people don't really understand and how many hours these guys are in that aircraft and what they have to do to accomplish their tasks and, and just how impressive they are, the men and women. Saying that something is propaganda is not necessarily like a quality judgment. You know what I people mean? To say that something, people got yeah, confused. Pe to say that something is propaganda doesn't mean that that means it's bad. It means a specific thing. Which is that, like, it is, you know, works with the organ of government and the armed forces to try to help sell people on the armed forces and government. Like, that's what propaganda means. There can be high quality propaganda like Top Gun Maverick. There can be low quality propaganda like the Marvel movies and the Transformers <laughs> movies. Um, another good high quality propaganda film is the first David Lean movie in which we serve, which is like well 
regarded as a really good movie. It's about all these guys that uh, it's about the lives of the people that worked on a battleship in World War Two. But it was explicitly done under the British uh, Ministry of Information. So it is like explicitly propaganda, but also a good movie. So it's not a it's not a quality judgment to say something propaganda. It's simply like. A statement of fact. <laughs> yeah, statement of fact. Some people got very confused about it and got very upset when people were pointing out that, yes, it's a great movie, but it also is propaganda. It's not either or. I'll quote in uh, uh, Tom Secker of uh, National Security Cinema, who has a great website that documents all this, covers all of the interactions between our government and Hollywood. This is his take on uh, Top Gun Maverick. It's about rehabilitation of the military's image in the wake of numerous failed wars. The film also helps foreground human pilots flying an actual combat mission, something very rare in these days of high-altitude airstrikes and drone right. warfare. It helps distract from all the drone pilots who've spoken out about the misery and horror inherent in that job. That's a great tagline for Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. It nails all those points. It starts off with, I swear to God... Tom Cruise be as like a test plot pilot for like Lockheed show and he's like trying he's risking it all to make sure that they can keep this government contract to get this high speed jet you know in the air that's cost like millions upon billions of dollars but it's not quite hit hitting uh, the G's that they want and by God Tom Cruise makes it happen. Oh he sells it he it's also you know about. Tom Cruise going faster than anyone has ever gone before. <laughs> it's like the movie opens with Tom Cruise is the new Chuck Yeager. He has gone faster than any man on the planet. He's gone Mach 10 or whatever. Yeah, to be clear, it's also propaganda for Tom Cruise as well. The, those two things are at battle in the movie. Tom Gr Cruise wins, by the way, but we'll get into that as it goes on. Yeah, uh, listen, the movie um, is in, it's really fucking good. Yes. And it's almost like because it's propaganda that they were able to make it so good. Like it's access to all of these fighter jets and the fact that they were actually able to send these actors up in fighter jets and mount cameras in them and get the footage of like, you know, not do it on fucking green screen and actually get footage from within the cockpit of these planes that makes the movie like truly fucking next level, you know, like you actually can't make a movie just with this much done practically and these scenes done practically without it being propaganda for the military. They don't make, you know, you can't go out and make a jet to shoot a movie. You know what I mean? Yes. Maybe if you're James Cameron, maybe if you're James Cameron, <laughs> but everybody else is not going to be able to go make a billion dollar jet to shoot a movie. It really did dampen my enjoyment of the movie that how, you know, pro-military it was. and Like even knowing it going in, I was like, oh, so I'm supposed to be cheering on them doing a bombing run on Iran. It's, they don't call it Iran, but obviously it's Iran and blowing up some scientists. Like I actually was thinking like, I would just like this movie so much better if it was like a sci-fi movie. If they did just make a sci-fi jet like James Cameron and these this was like an anime style you know military you know squadron or something instead of the actual military because as you said you can't make this movie without the U.S. military's cooperation these jets would not exist period if it weren't for you know the actual war machine like you just can't get around it and really bothered me early on and took away from my enjoyment of it but once the movie picks up 
and Tom Cruise becomes Tom Cruise. He starts charming us. He starts winning us over. He introduces his new girlfriend, Jennifer Connelly, out of nowhere, uh, by the way. She's just in this movie, but we love her because she's Jennifer Connelly, and Tom Cruise knows that. She makes us think of the 80s, but she still looks, you know, absolutely amazing, gorgeous. And this mo and you bring in you know Miles Teller as you know Goose's son who has the same goofy <laughs> mustache and yes, haircut. He, he, in that he inherited he inherited the mustache from his dad. <laughs> so funny. Um, and you you introduce in all you get introduced to the new pilots, which I actually think they shirked on a little bit, Jack. I don't think we got enough of the new characters to really enjoy them. It was mostly the Tom Cruise show because the story. And Miles Teller. It's the Tom Miles Cruise. And Miles, Miles Taylor, Taylor Miles, 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 yeah. Miles Taylor looked good, very good in a supporting role, but we were constantly reminded that Maverick is the guy, and without yeah. Maverick, this whole thing falls apart. Yeah, listen, this is this is a movie like you said. It's Tom Cruise pop propaganda as much as it is U.S. military propaganda. Um, I will say. We do get a scene with Val Kilmer that I thought was really, really well done and very sweet. And it, it was a well-deserved send-off, I think, to Val Kilmer. Yes. And I'm glad they got him in here. And I'm glad they did it the way that they did it. And uh, it was it was actually very touching, uh, the scene with Iceman. Yeah, I, the only thing I didn't like about it, he dressed like... Val Kilmer. He didn't dress like Iceman. Val Kilmer dressed like Val Kilmer was like a theater guy. He was wearing like wearing a scarf and everything. He didn't dress like Iceman. <laughs> Iceman's kind of a douchebag. I feel like he should have been something else. He should have been in like Under Armour or something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> he should dress like Cuomo. He should dress like one of the Cuomos. I think. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Aside from all this, I wasn't as bothered by it being propaganda, uh, you know, because I just kind of knew that's what it was going to be when I went in and the action and the scenes, you know, actually flying are truly some of the, you know, maybe some of the best footage I've seen in action movies Period. Yeah. Maybe just like period. You know, when Tom Cruise is doing the thing where he like does the run to prove that it can be done and he's like, like going like, oh, 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 and like racking his body. That is amazing. You know, that is just amazing scene. It's just an amazing scene. Amazing filmmaking. Uh, Tom Cruise is the man. And, you know, I don't know, like actually doing it is so important like what what tom cruise likes to do of like actually putting himself in danger and literally doing all of this stuff yeah it kicks ass it fucking works for me it's got shades of jackass or something that like really make it like <laughs> engaging to watch so we we talked about the you know the climax of the movie being this bombing run was that or was that not just a new hope right like ah. for fairly early on this yeah, movie but it's real just, life, a new hope, uh, real life, a new hope against yeah. uh, like not Iran. They never named the country specifically, but it's clearly meant to be Iran that that our uh, brave uh, squadron is fi is fighting against. And at the end of the day, like I was rooting for Iran. Like, why are we bombing their facility? We're, we're told that it's supposed to be a nuclear weapons plant. 
is probably likely, you know, something that makes baby f- formula. If it's any, if their military is anything like our military, uh, ultimately that's the that's the only thing that kind of kept me from being full on bored with this. Is like, man, I thought the enemy pilots were pretty cool. To- yeah, but that's kind of like what it was in the first Top Gun as well. Is you just don't get to see the faces of the enemies at all. They're just all in like reflective hoods and everything. Um, and, and Jack, you had watched the first Top Gun for the first right time before. Recently. What were your impressions? I mean, the first Top Gun is fine. It's a classic. Um, I didn't like it as much. You know, I think I think Top Gun 2 easily overtakes Top Gun yes. 1. But I was kind of glad to have seen it. And I do think that it, like, you know, made it more fun that Rooster's son was there and all this kind of shit. Or that uh, Goose's son was there and all this kind of <laughs> shit. Um, yeah, I don't know. Top Gun 1 was a little bit boring, to be honest yeah. with you. And it's, and it's surprising that it's all about them just just like in training pretty much, you know, and it's not as much about like this new one worked a lot better that it was them training to go do a specific mission as opposed to just sort of generally training and then doing a mission at the end. Yeah, it's a specific, you know, action movie, whereas like I feel like a lot of these military dramas, especially of that era, the, the like the 80s and the 90s, they start off with just the drama. And then at the in the very last minute, they toss in the action scene where they always they're all of a sudden there's a, there's a helicopter has crashed off the coast of Somalia and yeah. uh, you recruit to the nearest people by you got like GI Jane basically do, uh, does a, a similar thing as well yeah that's kind of you know I, the first one is it's really not as impressive I, I really love Top Gun Maverick if you're out there and you haven't seen it yet go see it in the Dolby Theater go see it in the IMAX or even somebody I heard something called like X screen or something where there's three screens <laughs> a friend of mine went and saw it in that uh, go ahead and do it this is worth seeing in whatever stupid D box or I did like D box you know, Jack and let me tell you something if they need to have an Oscar category for D box just for Top uh, Gun I said on this show i thought d-box was a ripoff no 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 it depends on the the artists that you have behind the d-packs the d-box uh programming because they did an amazing job with top gun maverick i felt like i was in the cockpit with tom uh the whole time it, it was really an experience you know i would say i would also say this top gun being as big as it was and people going back to the theaters to see it has me believing more than ever Avatar is going to <laughs> fucking destroy Avatar. This is we are still in the decade of Avatar and it is going to be huge. Well, Jack, I'm going to start the rumor that the reason uh, Jurassic World is doing well is because people want to see that Avatar trailer in 3D. I will see any movie in 3D these days just because I know that there will be the Avatar trailer. If 3D is available, I'm seeing it in 3D. What did you think of Top Gun of Crimes of the Future? of Jurassic World Dominion. Let us know at sesh.show. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe. Patreon.com slash struggle session. Sesh.plus. Struggle session.substack.com. Peace. Later. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus 
or strugglesession.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.